by now. Uh, but if you are, are new uh, in uh, Grace Point or uh, first time watching online, we have been going through the writings of Luke. Uh, Luke is a Gentile. Uh, he's a doctor. Uh, he has written uh, much of the New Testament, and he did so in two books, a book called The Gospel According to Luke, and then the, the book called Acts of the Apostles. We sometimes just call it the Book of Acts. And um, the Book of Acts is the continuation of the ministry and the work of Jesus through his church. Uh, Jesus is building the church. In fact, one of the things, little nuances about the video, the video bumper that we just watched is the video begins with the word and. And I told Cheryl, I said, the reason I like that so much is because it lets you know that there was something before this happened. Uh, it lets you know that even though we're, we're on this journey and even though we're in the book of Acts and we're just starting out, the very first word you see on that bumper video is the word and. Something happened before that. And that was the earthly ministry of Jesus. So we're going to continue through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. You know, one of the heroes of, of my, my Christian faith uh, was a pastor from North Carolina uh, by the name of Vance Havner. Vance Havner, you may have never heard that name. Maybe some of you are very familiar with the name. Uh, some of you also know that I have a, uh, a collection of uh, historical items. Some are replicas, some are authentic. Uh, for example, one of the things that I really enjoy, uh, we'll get to that, <laughs> he's, he's ready to push a button for me. Uh, one of the things that I have that I'm, I'm, I'm super you know, proud of to, to even have in, in my collection is a handwritten page from Charles Spurgeon's sermon notes. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a, a, a famous pastor, uh, 1800s, early 1900s, and, and I have a, a handwritten uh, page of his, of his one of the sermons that he did uh, in uh, 1800s, February, I believe it was, in 1800s. Uh, several years ago, uh, I had contacted the estate of Vance Habner to see if they had anything, you know, maybe, uh, maybe they had something that they would be willing to part with that I could add to my collection because I admire his, his ministry and his work. And uh, they said, well, uh, we appreciate your phone call, but unfortunately we don't have any of it. We donated uh, every single thing to the Billy Graham uh, uh, Association. Uh, so somewhere, Billy Graham has all of his stuff, <laughs> and uh, I didn't get any of it. Uh, but that's all right. That's all right. They, they, you know, Vance Havner uh, was born in 1901. He grew up in Lincoln County, if you're familiar uh, with where that's at. Uh, literally, if you just get back out here on, on Highway 150 and drive for about an hour west, go toward the lake, drive for about an hour, uh, you'll go through uh, Catawba County, and then you'll hit Lincoln County, and that's where Vance Havner is from. Uh, he was born and raised there, not too far uh, from where we're at. And he was just an old-time preacher filled with wisdom. Uh, sometimes he could just say things that uh, just, uh, just were pithy uh, statements, brief, uh, filled with wisdom. And then other times he would say things that were just incredibly uh, profound. But I want to, you know, for example, he had a, just a sharp mind of witty statements. One of them that I, that I enjoy, the quotes that he said is, uh, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. And uh, so I, I love those little, you know, quotes like that. But I want you to hear this quote by Vance Havner, because this, this quote really shows you the, 
the profound depth of this old country preacher. He said, quote, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Oh, that is rich. He recognized that there was something that could change the world, and the way that we as a church change the world is not by criticizing the things that are going on in the world. That doesn't create change. We don't change the world by just conforming to the world. We literally change the world by being ignited by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God does something within us. And that's really what Acts chapter 2 is about. I want you to consider this. The early church didn't have buildings. They didn't have large sums of money. They didn't have political influence. They didn't have social status. And yet they were changing the world with the gospel. And they were doing it at a rapid pace. Acts chapter 2 shows us that they were ignited with the Spirit of God. So with that in mind, we got five key points, so we better jump in. Key point number one, we should be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We should be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the first three verses, and then we'll unpack it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now I pause there just for a moment because this is this is pretty incredible what's 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 taking place. I mean, we ask ourselves this question. Why why is it that the Holy Spirit is coming at this moment? What was it that happened at this moment? What changed? Why didn't the Holy Spirit come sooner? Why was it on this day? Why was it at this moment? What had taken place? What was significant? Well, we find that in the scriptures, John chapter 16, verse 7 tells us this. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So we know that that's one of the reasons. But that really doesn't, at least it doesn't satisfy for me. I'm just going, okay, so you can't be here? Uh, you know, what else, what else is, there's, there's something very significant here. And I keep, I keep looking. Listen to John chapter 7, verse 39. But this, Jesus spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so we now have a little bit more information, right? We know that when Jesus came, he did what? He, uh, he emptied himself of, of his glory, right? And that at some point, he is going to return to his glorified state. So clearly, Scripture is, is saying that he has to depart. That's one aspect of it. And then not only does he have to depart, he is departing to the place where he once had his glory, and now he's returning to that. So those things have to take place. Place. So what happened 
or what had to happen? What, do, what does that mean that Jesus was not yet glorified? Well, would you be surprised if I told you that we could see the answer in one of the Jewish fellow, uh, festivals? I, I'm sure that that probably would not surprise you, right? Uh, that, that, that there is some tie in there to the scriptures and we can see that Jesus is doing things in a very particular way and God has been God has ordained from the beginning of time a very specific uh, purpose keep in mind that the word festivals uh, or feast as we sometimes refer to like the feast of tabernacles or uh, the uh, the feast uh, the feast of weeks sometimes we refer to those as a festival well the word festival means appointed times it means appointed times that these are these are appointed times for specific things to happen for example if you were to uh, uh, to participate in the feast of Passover uh, it was an appointed time for something very specific on Easter Sunday we looked at that in great detail and we saw the incredible uh, things that took place and are associated uh, with the Passover well understand this that the word festival there is saying these are appointed times these are specific times that God is doing something with a specific purpose so the answer then is going to be found within scriptures and it's going to be found within the context of what the scriptures are telling us so let's look back look closely again Acts chapter 2 look at verse 1 it said what when the day of Pentecost had fully come what is what is Pentecost it's one of the festivals it's one of the feasts it's one of the times to to gather together you know and they have a very specific purpose so then the next question is well what is Pentecost what's its significance well the holiday was known as the feast of weeks the feast of weeks it was the official celebration and had two, there were two major parts to it when it was the official celebration that harvest has begun harvest time has begun now if you're if you're a step ahead of me i want you to consider this what is the church to do we are in the harvest period right so pentecost is what it's the beginning of harvest it's the time for us to what harvest souls for the lord that's what that's part of what it is so the holiday was a was at a appointed time and it had to be at the beginning of the time for to celebrate harvest now penta we can we can kind of figure out what's going on there it's celebrated on the 50th day after the day of first fruits well what is the day of first fruits well we call it easter we call it resurrection sunday the day of first fruits is is what, what we would call easter it's the resurrection of christ and the scriptures tell us that Jesus was what? He was the first fruits. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. He was, uh, so Jesus is the fulfillment of not only Passover, Jesus is also the fulfillment of the day of first fruits because of his resurrection. Now, 50 days, how did they get that? And what do they call Feast of Weeks? What does all that mean? Well, we, we don't have a whole lot of time to get into it here those of you who were here during our John series uh, last year uh, will have a little bit of an advantage because you remember the significance of the number seven uh, if you if you remember the, the significance there seven you know is what perfect complete whole but we also saw what it was 
uh, a seven plus one. The plus one was often in relation to uh, something that you couldn't just put it with the rest of it. It was it was outside of the seven. It was kind of the culmination. It was it was more significant. Well, how do we get to fifty? What does that have to do with sevens? Well, let's do the math. It is seven sevens plus one. That's how they came up with the fifty. It is the feast of weeks. It's seven weeks. It's the seven sevens. It's the it's the perfection. It's perfection multiplied, and it's and there's this plus one because it's the culmination, and it is the beginning of harvest. So the appointed time, then, according to the scriptures, the appointed time for the Holy Spirit had fully come. Why? Because Jesus had done what? He had fulfilled the Passover. He had fulfilled the day of fruits. And now he was ascended to return to his glory. And because all of those things had taken place, then the appointed time comes for the Holy Spirit. So you might ask this question, as I did. Wasn't the Holy Spirit active prior to Pentecost? I mean, you know, I see the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. I, I, so the answer is yes, the Holy Spirit was active. Wasn't he active in creation? Yeah, he was there. Wasn't he active throughout the history of the, of the Hebrew people? Yeah. Was he not active in the life and ministry of Jesus? Yeah. So what's different? I mean, that's the next question then, right? In the Old Testament, here's, the, here's probably the best way to, to think of it. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and rest upon people in their midst. So if we had this opportunity to, uh, for the Holy Spirit to, uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and, and, and would rest upon someone or be in their midst or be in their presence. The difference is now, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit doesn't rest upon us. The Holy Spirit indwells within us. He doesn't just come and visit. He doesn't come and sit next to you. He comes and he dwells within. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. There's the word again describing the Holy Spirit, helper. That he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus makes the distinction there, right? He says he's currently what? With you. But soon he is going to be in you. That's the distinction. And when can those things happen? Not until the Passover has been fulfilled. Not until the day of fruits, first fruits have been fulfilled. When those things happen, and when Jesus ascends and returns to his glory, then is the appointed time, the day of Pentecost, had, as scripture says, had fully come. They had had Pentecost before. They had celebrated this feast before. But what was different about this one? Same thing we said about Easter, right? When Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. Like, something's different about this one. Something's different. Well, there was something different about this Pentecost. This one, the day had fully come, and this 
was the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying right now to, the, to those present, the Spirit dwells with you, but he will soon come and dwell within you. So what does that mean for us? What, I mean, how should we think about that? Well, it means that the Holy Spirit can dwell within you. It means that the Holy Spirit can, can be your helper, as the scriptures say. You know, sometimes we, we think of, we almost think of helper as something derogatory, right? Oh, you're my little helper, or you're, you know, you're, even, even in the spouse relationship, you know, sometimes we can, we can think of that as being condescending to say that, as the scriptures say, that she is my helpmate. That's a good thing to say that she, you know, Cheryl is my helper. That's not a condescending thing. That's a descriptor of the Holy Spirit. That's a descriptor of God himself. So it's not condescending to say that someone is your helper. It's a very good thing. So it means that the Holy Spirit can dwell within you. He can be your helper. And the question is, when does this happen? When does the Holy Spirit dwell within us? Well, the answer is at the moment of your salvation. At the moment of your salvation. There's a word that's used throughout Scripture uh, that has two concepts. And the word is baptism. And sometimes in Scripture it talks about baptism in, in water, and then, in, and then there's other places where it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean, baptism of the Holy Spirit? That can be kind of confusing. Well, the word baptism, having two ideas. First, its literal word is the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo. It means to fully immerse to fully immerse. So when we practice baptism, what do we do? We fully immerse. Why? Because that's what the word means. It means to fully immerse. It means that you're going completely under the water to say, I am completely and wholly and entirely giving my life to the Lord, fully immersed. The other, the other idea associated with the word baptism is it means to be identified with so that you're not only, you're not only fully immersed, in the act of doing so, you are saying, I am identifying with something. Well, what is that something? Well, it's Christ. For example, if I said, uh, if, if we were observing baptism, we would have someone standing in the water making a public testimony that they believe in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That they believe the gospel. That they have accepted the gospel. And then in so doing... They go underneath the water as a picture of not only the death of Christ, but the burial of Christ. So going underneath the water is a picture of the burial of Christ. But then you don't, get to, you don't stay under the water for three days, do you? <laughs> you know, three days and three nights. We come up out of the water, and it's a picture of clearly what? The resurrection. So it's death, burial, resurrection. That's a picture of of Christ. It's a picture of immersion into that I'm fully immersed in Christ. It's also our identity in Christ. How so? When you're baptized, you're saying, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and I have died to my old self. My old sin nature has been, has been crucified. It is gone. It is something that's no longer uh, who I am. I, I have given my old self to Christ. And today, as testimony, I do what? I bury my old self. And then the scriptures say what? We are raised to walk in newness of life. So it is, it is our way of identifying 
with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a way of saying we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and we also identify with that. So that's water baptism. The idea then of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is what? It is saying I identify with Jesus and I accept him into my life. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a it's not something that happens later in life. It's not something that happens down the road. It's not something that happens at a, at a second occurring. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the moment of your salvation. It's just another way of saying, this is when I was saved. This is when I identified with Christ. This was the moment that I gave my life to him and I identified with him and surrendered, fully immersed, gave my life to him, and he came into my life the holy spirit then dwells within us so the baptism of the holy spirit is your moment of salvation the baptism of water is a public testimony that you have been baptized by the holy spirit so it's pretty incredible as we see in acts chapter 2 that what the holy spirit has come the day of pentecost has come it is the holy spirit is is no longer just dwelling in our midst, with us, but he is now within us. We have been identified and accepted Christ.